an empire. It's a mindset. It's a way of thinking in abundance because normal is the most dangerous condition to be in because it gives you the illusion that everything is okay, but being normal can't sustain a hit. It crumbles. There is no solid foundation. So an empire is a mindset. It's about going so big with abundance and in reserves that you can't be hit down. You, you can still flourish and prosper while under attack. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks Come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo with the Rucker Paul Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in the basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt Welcome to the show. Matt Labrie here, your host of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. And if you are interested in building an empire, you are in no better place than right here, right now. Now, you just heard from our incredible guest who needs no introduction, but we're going to give it to you anyway. Our friend, Elena Cardone, is joining the show, the author of the best-selling book, Build an Empire, How to Have It All. She's also the executive producer of the massively successful events that include 10X Ladies, Operation 10X Badass, build an empire mastermind, and her own show, Women in Power. She trains individuals on how to create, grow, and defend an extraordinary career and marriage. Additionally, she mentors hundreds of women with personal one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, and her most recent endeavor includes partnering up with EXP Realty to build the largest real estate team across the globe. She is joining us here today to help us build our own empire a step-by-step -step plan on how to do so, dealing with the turbulence of the economy, people, life events trying to tear that empire down, finding your people because you need people to build an empire. Lastly, we're going to get into some power couple talk as well. I know a lot of people out there want to find that power or want to be a part of that power couple. That is exactly what we're diving into here today. We are super excited to have you. I'm urging you to make sure that you're sharing this. The minute something clicks for you, and I know it's going to happen in this episode, you are here for a reason. Once that something clicks, I'm urging you to share this episode with the people that are in your life. And without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Elena Cardone. Elena, welcome to Decoding Success. Really excited to have you here. It's been a long time coming. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. So cool. I can't, I'm excited to be here. Let's do it. Now, first question I'm going to ask you is probably how I should start off every conversation. But how are you? What's going on in the life of Elena? Oh, wow. I'm good. There's always a lot going on. You know, I do mom, I do wife, I do EXP Realty, I have listings, I have people I'm trying to get in my organization, I have renovations in both homes. So there's a lot going on. How do you know where to prioritize your time or focus your time? Well, I basically kind of assess what needs to be done at, the, at, at that critical moment. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, that's, and that's what gets my attention. And sometimes, you know, people are always like family first. And of course, in, in, in any given serious situation, family is first. But that's not how I prioritize when everyone's doing good. Like sometimes if a ball's dropping and I have to catch it, but it's work related, then I have to figure out how to get the kids handled and dealt with so that they don't feel neglected in that moment. But I have to know the difference between them just being bored in 
wanting my attention when I really have to then make work pay the price while I handle the kids. So it's a constant juggling act for me. It's, it's just handling one item at a time. And that helps me from being overwhelmed because there's so many things going on and so many papers or, you know, chaos up in the air that if I look at all of it, I can get overwhelmed. But I pick the number one thing and I handle that. And then I pick the number one thing and I just expect everybody else to just deal with it. No, I've never asked this question before. I'm not a parent, but I am curious because I, you know, do a lot of inner child stuff and whatnot. I'm just curious, like, as a parent, how do you present yourself in an emotionally available way with everything that you have going on for your kids? Well, you know, part of my purpose is to rear productive, happy members of society, right? So so I have to wear that hat and I'm dedicated, you know, it's commit first and figure the rest out later. So I'm committed to being a good mom and it is senior in my particular priorities list only because me, I value that role more than anything else because, you know, for a number of reasons, I feel like, you know, as women, we're responsible for the procreation of children and civilization, right? So for me, I really want to invest into my children so that, you know, I can leave that legacy onward. But that's not to say that the business side isn't also equally It's not equally, but very high ranking in importance too, because I, for me also, I need to have the business there to, to fulfill myself. Like I have to achieve my goals and my dreams and fulfill myself, make my, that's what fulfills me. That's what makes me happy. And so the more I'm able to allow myself to have that, the more I can show up and be present and give to my children because I myself am fulfilled and am responsible for fulfilling my own self. Like I'm not looking to my children to fulfill a void. I'm not looking to my husband to fulfill a void. I'm fulfilling myself with my goals and my dreams, which allows me like the oxygen mask on an airplane, which allows me to breathe in and then share and give to everybody else and bring value to the whole family unit. That's a powerful place to be. You use the word, I actually want to understand how you define it. The word you used was legacy. What does legacy mean to you? Legacy is something that you can leave on that lasts longer than this body life. Mm. So when this body dies, my legacy is my kids. My legacy is my book, is the products I leave behind. My legacy is the impact on the lives that I've had that live in continuation without me being here. Talk to me about building an empire. What does empire mean to you, right? Because that could be, you know, you could go historical in that context? Like what does empire mean to Elena? Well, I mean, there is the real definition of empire and and I did pick empire as a metaphorical sort of example here, but empire is to represent something so big and so massive that nothing, no incoming impacts can affect it. It's when you have a true empire, you've built up in reserves, in in courage, in finances, in people, in in fortification, in, in strength, that something like an economic collapse or somebody getting sick in your family or, you know, any one of these unpredictable effects can't tear it down. It's in a state of power. It can't be knocked down. And that's why I picked empire because so many 
metaphorical examples fit in with it. Like so many of the kind of, I don't know if you want to call it teachings or whether you want to call it just keeping the curtains open into how Grant and I do our lives fit into the empire. Like, so suppose I'm the queen and Grant's the king of our empire. One of the things I talk about is like, I, as a king and a queen, if you were really the king and the queen of your empire, would you then go talk about the king to your chambermaids or or to the friends, like you, you can't talk about the king. Like, and that's the way I model our relationship is, is we keep our own counsel. Like nobody else is qualified to talk about the position of the king and the queen, because that is the highest echelon in the relationship. And what that does is, is it prevents you from having all these doors open for all these other ideas and the way you should handle things. And then, and then you have a dispute with the person that you're with, but you've told some so-and-so and then you go back to this person and now you've made it all better except they're still sitting with the argument which then re-stimulates you later with the argument and then you're refighting about the scene so I use empire for so many metaphorical examples but basically in a nutshell an empire it's a mindset it's a way of thinking in abundance because normal is the most dangerous condition to be in because it gives you the illusion that everything is okay but being normal can't sustain a hit. It crumbles. There is no solid foundation. So an empire is a mindset. It's about going so big with abundance and in reserves that you can't be hit down. You can still flourish and prosper while under attack. Do you think everyone's meant to build an empire? I do. I do. It's about a commitment. It's about a choice. I don't think everyone will. I think some people aren't interested for whatever reason. They, they don't want to do the work or or because the reality is so out of their grasp for whatever reason. I mean, I wasn't reared to be thinking in terms of empires. I wasn't reared to think I could have more, achieve more. I was reared to think I should be happy and enough is enough and be happy with what I have. And, and, and empires are really for those you know, what do they call those people? The, the, the elite, the, the people in the, the castle, I forget what they call them, but well, not royalty, but you know, for the, for the, for the select few, but not for me. I'll think of the name tonight when I'm going to bed, I'll be like, that's the name. (laughs) I love that. Now I have to ask this, what was the moment in your life? Maybe it was multiple moments that turned the switch on for you to start thinking empire because you just alluded to the fact that it wasn't necessarily something you were maybe taught to think of. So what was that moment or moments? Oh, it, was, it was a very particular moment. It was in 2008 when I was watching Lehman collapse on television with Grant. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I had ever seen him scared. He went white. He was terrified. We were on the verge of losing everything financially in that moment. We were under a lawsuit. I mean, just the whole domino effect went down. And that's the moment where I had a choice to make. It was I was pregnant with our first child. I had always been an actress. I was kind of, you know, I thought I had to do everything on my own, not depend on anyone, especially a man that included my husband. And when that moment happened, it forced me to really look at the situation. And I recognized in that moment, the only way we were going to survive that moment was if I was willing to trade in my career, basically, in order to trade up to this idea of an empire. That's when it came to me. I thought, you know, this is my opportunity to to really put my chips 
all in on a guy, terrifying for me. Fortunately, my bet paid off. I found the one I trusted and built an empire. But that's the first moment it came to me where I really looked at it and I said, you know what, I'm willing to do this. This is what I'm willing to do in our relationship. This is the role I'm willing to play. This is how I'm willing to help you go out and build up this thing that we're going to create together. I can kind of have the easy side where I can kind of architect and support you and never tell you where have you been or when are you going to come home and I'm going to support you in every way. I'm going to take care and run this family and that's going to contribute to the success of us. And it worked out. That's the moment we got on the same page. When, when we figured out who does what in our relationship, we stopped fighting each other. We fortified. We fought the enemy instead of each other. That's when I learned your partner is not your enemy. <laughs> that's your enemy. And that's when we really started to make big, huge strides together. And we actually started winning and building this thing called an empire. But it started with building us up together as a unit. Now, pre-2008, was Grant already thinking empire? Mm, no, but keep in mind, Grant had already had a big mindset. When we were together, I think he was around the $10 million mark, which was way beyond anything I had ever experienced. I'm from New Orleans. I never went to college. Like the guys I dated were always broke. I was always paying for everything, you know? So to him, he thinks he was thinking empire until <laughs> he got together with me. And I really was like, no, we're going to call this thing empire. Empire. This is how we're going to run it. And this is where we're going. And I gave him the marching orders. You're going to become a billionaire. Mm. I'm going to help you get there. And I don't need you to become a billionaire because I need clothes or fancy things to be somebody. You're going to become a billionaire because that's how much I believe in you. And if you become a billionaire, imagine how many products and services you will have had to put in the hands of people in order to have exchanged and, and made yourself a billionaire. And quite honestly, that is the enormity of who you are as a being. And to be anything less is frankly, a transgression to who you are. So get to work. That also came with the added benefit of when I focused his attention on such a huge, incredible goal, it got his attention off of, you know, playing small minded games, which is let me win the, the push pull game with my spouse. Mm, that's powerful. Now I, I have to ask this, you know, you lived your life the way you've lived it. I'm just curious to learn. Do you think everyone needs to experience a moment like your 2008 to have that mindset shift? You know, I, I don't think so. I think if anyone's out there and is interested, you don't have to have these moments. All you have to do is know and make a decision. It all starts with a decision and just deciding, no, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, for me, I don't think you have to hit these places of pain and agony or hit rock bottom. I don't believe in that. Like for me, I believe that you can come out really well. Like you can be, I'm, I'm in a really well state of mind and condition now. I have worked really hard to get here, but I believe it cost me two decades of having to set myself straight. Now I'm in a very good place. Place and I can exponentially grow leaps and bounds because I am in such a good, strong foundation right now. So I don't believe you have to go there. I think you can build on where you're at and make and actually have stronger gains. Sure. You know, one of, one of my biggest secrets is for any of those people who thinks you have to go from the past, I'm going to challenge your thinking right now and, and challenge you to 
think the complete opposite. Like you're looking from your past to your present and that is all very normal and that is the way normal people do it and that gets you normal circumstances. But if you want empire, you want abundance, I'm going to challenge you to think from the future into the present. So I stopped living from the past and thinking I needed to suffer and have agony to get where I'm at. I cut that off years ago. I've been living. So who you see now has been me from the future. So I only live from the future from to now and I'll explain it. So I visualize what I want my future to be, who I want to be, how strong I want to be. Do I want to be the face of the women empowerment movement? How do I be strong enough to be the woman behind a multi-billion dollar empire? What I'm now a realtor. What do I have to do to run a successful real estate team? So I have who do I want to be around? Did I already say that? So I have that vision in the future. Now I just reverse engineer from the future. Nothing to do with my past. Okay. I don't care about my past. I'm not the same person I was 15 minutes ago, <laughs> much less five years ago. So I reverse engineer from the future and I take what actions do I need? I need to take some real estate courses. I need to go get some mentorship. I need to get strong. I need to keep physically fit. I have to have my health there, you know, intact to support the energy that it takes to, to be around that much motion in the future. I need, you know, what do I need to do? And I reverse engineer. So every single thing I do today, which I do a lot of self-enhancement, I spend thousands of dollars on self-enhancement. I spend time, energy, resources into preparing myself for who I'm going to be in the future. But it all comes from the future, not the past. So my answer mm -hmm. is, I do not believe you have to do the pain and suffering. I just think you have to completely 180 your thinking and li live from the future. My future doesn't have pain and suffering in it. My future has success, winning, all dynamics, all areas of my life, hitting on all cylinders and success and happy. My future, I haven't mocked up pain and suffering in my future. Now, when it comes to thinking into the future. I'm just curious what your practice is to ensure that you remain present as well, right? Because we can, or let me not say we, I can get so caught up in the future that next thing you know, that's where I'm living and I'm totally spaced out in the present moment. So what do you do to practice being in the present? I am in the present. I don't, I don't know how to, to, to practice that, but I live from the future. Okay. You know, it's like, it's just a reversal. Like, like, do you have to worry about living in the past? Probably. I would be more worried and more concerned because most people are living in the past, struggling to be in present time because they're mm. sucked into the past. So actually living into the future actually helps me be more in present time because I'm not sucked into the past, re going over all the mental image pictures in my mind of failure and this and that, and, you know, and then trying to be in present time, but going, and that didn't work. This program didn't work. Why would I invest in a new one when the last one didn't work? See, most people are stuck in the past trying to live in the present, but the future actually unsticks me from the past, puts me in the future and allows me to actually remain stably in present time. Right. I want to backtrack a little bit. When it came down to when I actually had to define empire, you mentioned that an empire can withstand anything, whether it be economic teardowns or whatever the case may be. I'm just curious, how have you personally dealt with those turbulent moments? Because, you know, an empire gets attacked, whether it be from people or whether it be from the economy. I'm just curious, like, how did you withstand that? Well, everything goes back to abundance. And I'm not saying it can't be hit. Like, you know, certain moments, COVID, for instance, mm -hmm. was a 
a was a big one for us. It exposed weaknesses within our empire, within our organization. We had to let an entire department go, you know, probably prematurely, but in hindsight, you know, we would have been okay, but we had to do what was necessary to protect the whole viability of the whole the whole empire, right? So there are moments where it can get dinged up and hurt, but it's so much abundance that you can withstand and then recalculate your battle moves or know that, hey, I need to fortify this wall or we need to fix this going forward. We need to pivot to more online, which everyone had to do in our e-commerce and our webinars, like, you know, you know, just like everyone else, sword. Sure, so sure. it's pivoting, changing, um, but it's, it's abundance. It's I can only tell you abundance. You need abundance. Like the example I always give is the farmer. Like if, if you know you needed 12 crops to survive a whole season or year, 12 crops, and you only planted 12 crops, well, when the lotus come or a hurricane come and wipes half of it away and you're only left for three, you're starving. But the idea of the empire and abundance and how we protect ourselves for these hits is when we need 12, we plant 2,000. Now you understand when the locusts come in and wipe away 50, I still, you know, I'm still sitting pretty. And then let's say in the same time, the hurricane comes and wipes out a thousand. I still have a thousand. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm still like, you can take the hit and it hurts, you know, there, there goes some profits or there goes some less people I can feed, but I can still feed. If it only took us 12, I can still feed the community and probably the neighboring towns. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. So that's how we do everything. We do everything in, in abundance and, and, and not just finances, but certainly in finances because we live in an economic planet. You can't go buy diapers with a hug, but <laughs> in resources and people, 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 people have everything you need. Like people build empire. So we're constantly looking to collaborate with others to build out this thing to make us strong enough. Like we can withstand all of these hits because we have so many people and courage and integrity and fortification and account accountability and, and so much and so massive on so many 10x levels that it does hurt when a dagger is thrown at you, but it's not going to kill us or destroy us. Right. Now, if you were to talk to Elena of 2008 and give her a blueprint, a step-by-step -step to build an empire, what would that step-by-step -step look like? Well, get really clear on your purpose Okay. And it doesn't have to be the long-term purpose. Like for instance, in 2008, my purpose was to survive, to not lose it all. Now my purpose is I'm trying to leave a legacy play. We're trying to hit 8 billion people. We're trying to make massive plays. I'm interested in you now. In 2008, I, I really wasn't interested in you. I couldn't. I could only take care of myself at that point. And of course, Grant, right? So I would say, get your purpose, commit, project yourself from the future into now, know your roles based on your strengths and weaknesses, not based on male, female, really run your role, your department to the hundredth power, not 50, 50, like Grant and I aren't 50, 50, we're a hundred, a hundred, right? So run your division at a hundred percent and protect your empire with everything you have. Meaning look at the people around you, why are they there? What is the purpose 
of your friend? What is the purpose of your business partner? What is the purpose of your family member? Like, what is the purpose? Do they just get to be there just because they're entitled? Or are they really contributing and vice versa to the heightened level of your success? I don't let anyone come into my empire that's not strictly vetted. I protect it like fiercely. I love this. You said something that I really love in regards to your purpose shifting. That's not something people talk about often. In fact, whenever you know, you're know you seeing a YouTube video or reading a book, it's like, know your purpose and your purpose is like concrete. Like I really appreciate the fact that you said your purpose could be fluid. It could change. It could change. Yeah. Elaborate on that some more because there's people out there that need to hear that. You just, for me, I just needed the purpose in that moment. Like I said, in 2008, my, our purpose was to survive and not lose it all. And that was it. I didn't give to charities. We had to stop giving to all of our charities. We had to economize on all of our spending and whatever we were doing. So for several years, it was just about that one purpose, but it was a big enough purpose to drive us to never be in that situation again. And we made a vow that if we ever were to build this thing called an empire, that if we ever became wealthy or whatever you want to call it, hit these statistics, we would keep the curtains open so that the other little people, all the other little people could see and fast track their way to success. Cause there was no social media. There was no woman behind beside the man coming out here saying, this is how we did it. So now it's just evolved. Now I have the wealth. I have the legacy financially that's indestructible. My kids are going to be set for life. Now for me, I'm on a spiritual legacy play. Now my purpose has evolved. You know, I want to, I'm ready to take responsibility for being the face of this women empowerment movement. I'm massively moved by, I believe in women. I believe in the power of women. And what I mean by that is I just feel like when women can finally have the power right? The capacity or the ability to influence the behavior of others, meaning themselves first, then they can go home to their families, influence their partners, their children, their communities, and really like influence the behavior of this planet. And I, I'm very passionate about, about that movement, right? So that's where I'm at now. I, I like you know, and I, and I've just begun this because it's just a new purpose of mine. If, you know, after I came into the only care for myself role in 2008, then I was like, okay, now I'm going to, my purpose was, okay, now I'm going to create this distraction free environment. I'm going to run behind the scenes operations so that Grant can deliver his material, which is that financial material. And my purpose was by doing that and supporting him, it was helping the people have his information so they can turn their turn their financial legacy around. So mm -hmm. my it went from that into okay, now I'm gonna support everyone on their financial journey via grants products. I haven't lost that purpose, but now I've added on to this women empowerment movement. Now I've added on to now I'm a realtor. I want to create the largest, most successful real estate team in the world. I've also have the purpose of like, you know, really being an example as a wife and as a mother. So, so it's evolved. The more, the more I've lived into my future self, the more I've been willing to take responsibility for who I am and my power, the capacity, the ability to influence the behavior of others. And the more I've been able to do as I've expanded out. What's your advice to someone listening to this that might realize their purpose is shifting, but they feel like they're being set back because of that. And they're kind of holding on to the purpose they thought was theirs, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, the, they, they can either continue to have it and add on it like I have, or you can just analytically look at it in a new unit of time right now and say, this purpose no longer serves me. Like you have to make a conscious effort in 2008, my whole identity. So in 2008, I was, you know, mid thirties. I had been an actress. I moved to Los Angeles at 17 years old. I knew no one. I was an actress from 17 until mid thirties. That was my identity. Like I thought if I ever quit that I was selling out. Like I had to really come to terms with that myself when I went through this. So I just looked at, okay, do I want to be an actress for what? Like what was the purpose? And then I looked at it and I went, my purpose for being an actress was to get me out of New Orleans. That was my train that I rode to get out. I did that purpose. So I didn't have a purpose. What was I doing? What, what, what am I doing with, with acting? So it made it an easy pivot to go, you know what? My purpose is now shifted. I can let that go and I can go now create the empire and live on my terms and my conditions and not wait to have to be blessed by some, you know, egotistical whoever's in power that either likes my hair, doesn't like my hair. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm not talented enough. I'm too talented, whatever. Like I don't have to deal with that anymore. Now I can just go do my own thing. So I would just tell the person long answer to analyze it in a new unit of time. If it doesn't serve you, if it's not an asset to you, get a new purpose. Where did the dream of acting come in? It came in from when I was younger. You know, my father was wanted to be like a radio actor. So, and he was always interested in that. And I, I don't know, we were just, I was very like him. He was also a, a competition shooter. So I love guns. I love, I loved acting from a very young age. And then when, you know, I went to high school, it was a really challenging, tough school. And so I found out in the 10th grade, well, at the end of ninth grade, that I could go 10th, 11th, 12th, I could only go half a day to the really tough school. And the other half of the day, I could go to this New Orleans Center for Creative Arts called NOCA. And if I got in for acting, I would get to get out of this really bad school or, you know, challenging, difficult school <laughs> and go there for the half of the day. So that's when I was like, okay, I love this. Let's see if I can get in. I auditioned, I got in. Then I got out of the bad school for half a day. So I'm like, wow, this is a winning formula. Like, I like this acting thing. It, it gets me out of doing stuff I don't like to do. And then it turns out New Orleans was kind of crazy town. I was kind of Looney Tune in New Orleans. That's a whole other story, but I had to get out. And so I thought, okay, let me, let me see if the acting train can get me to Los Angeles. And it did. And I was able to get a modeling agency and an acting agency. And so I just rode the wave. It was my ticket out. I was never like smart in school. I, I did good grades because I could memorize and regurgitate information, but I was very hyper and like a, a visionary. So I was always daydreaming. I was always thinking, creating. I, so, so I thought, you know, I don't stand a chance to do something that smart people do. Let me go be a creative. Do you know what I well, mean? I do. I think it's really beautiful. Like, do you ever reminisce and think about how powerful it is that you actually pursued your childhood dream? I like, love not that. Not many I, people do. 
That you're right. And it was, it took a lot of courage. You know, I look back at myself and I'm, I'm proud of myself. 17 years old. I went to Los Angeles on my own. Like mm. that's, I look at my 13 year old daughter now and I'm like, geez, that was young. So yeah, I am really proud. And it set me up to be the person that I am today. I have a very, you know, I'm very emotional about things that I'm passionate about, but I actually have a very thick skin in real life. I don't actually cry often in real life. I'm, you know, it's prepared me. I'm stronger. I can confront. I'm, I'm used to being in front of lights, cameras. People have to hit a mark, lines, do things right, take direction. You know, being in nervous situations, the thousands of auditions I've had to be in front of people and perform. So it's helped me with this side of my life because it just seems not as difficult. Mm, I get that. Now, when we had Grant on the show, he elaborated on the story of how he met you. So I want to see how these stories line up. You met him in LA, correct? Yeah, on a commercial audition. I mean, not audition, a commercial shoot. It was in downtown Los Angeles in the middle of the night. And I saw him, didn't really think much of him. He got my number from the director. That's a huge no-no in LA. You don't give the numbers from the call sheet to random people that aren't on the on the show but he got my number he calls me we had this phone conversation I made all kinds of assumptions about him I thought he was extremely like oh my god who does this guy think he is he was like <laughs> you know people who hang out with me their lives tend to improve and I'm like are you serious like was the worst line I've ever heard I was like this is just another kind of rich guy who thinks he can buy women not interested from that phone call he called every month twice a month for 13 months with no return phone call I don't know how he told the story but I will say this in hindsight because he always corrects me when I don't add this part of the story but he was right my life has vastly improved and he's been a huge inspiration and mentor for me. And he was right for the record. Mm. All right. We got that on record. Now, he not even that he... admit, but it's true. <laughs> so he pursued you relentlessly for the most part, which is what he was saying. And one thing that I want to ask you from, you know, just a relationship perspective, and I know that's something that you're dabbling with now, women can get turned off by that. Like, would you have preferred him to approach you differently or would you not change no. a thing? I think he was really great about it because, you know, especially back then I was in my late 20s. I, I had a hot rod collection. I shot guns. I was an actress. Like, you know, I've, I kind of had guys thinking I was hot and I thought I was hot and whatever. But But guys were, you know guys that would pursue and if I wouldn't show interest or whatever, they give you attitude or then, then they start talking about you in a negative way or they throw these little tantrums or whatever they do. And like, I hate all of that. Grant was really subtle, but yet persistent. Mm -hmm. Whereas he would just leave these easy messages on my machine. I never felt like I was being stalked or anything. I was just like, oh, that's him again, next, next, next. Nothing invasive, right? And then he became friends with one of my girlfriends. So he he kind of showed up on the scene and then I was like, okay, he's not so bad. I can tolerate him. He just played. And then, then we started to kind of hang out because he was in my group, right? So then we hung out and then I knew he liked me, but he never crossed the line like most guys would have done. 
And then, and then it, it just always goes bad because then you're, you have to do the, I just want to be friends. And then they get furious and then they have their little temper tantrums or whatever. <laughs> right. But Grant never, never crossed the line. He was always just, he just always had this look of amusement on his face when it came to me. Like, and so anytime I would try after we were kind of friends, anytime I would try to do any one of my little tricks that would make guys go away and make them disappear, he just always had that amused look. And he just out chest me, honestly. I've never had a guy out chest me. And he was always three moves ahead of my every one move. And I was so used to running men at that time and knowing the game so well. He really threw me for a loop, not only in that aspect, but in the aspect of I had just never had a guy so interested in me. Like this was beyond just the Poo-Tang, you know, because mm. no guy sticks around that long. They're just like, screw it, you know? But the way Grant did it, it was like, this can't just be about sex anymore. This guy is like, like he sees something in me that I can't see in myself because I was very walled off to relationships, to people. I was, was very like hard at that time. And, and the fact that he could see that and persisted with that was the first step in me like able to let my guard down just a hair. And the more stable he was and the safer it became for me to, like I, I considered him like a rock and I was this fluttering kind of a thing. I would never commit. I never thought I wanted to be married, never thought I wanted to have kids. And then I would be like this and then fly. And then he was there. And then, and then finally it just became safer and safer. And then, you know, it just, it was, it's truly a really amazing love story, how it happened because he just broke me down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that interest that he showed in you, that alone turns women off. Like if they don't see something in themselves and they feel like they're not worth that level of interest, they'll just be like, this dude's like, a loser or, you know, like get yeah, a life. Like I've had that. I know what you're talking about, but, but that comes from like when a guy is in kind of propitiation to you where they're like trying to be so nice and it comes off a little needy and a little too propitiation. Like they're so desperate to have you mm. love them that it's a, that is a turnoff. Grant didn't have propitiation. Grant had, I am a stand-up man who is standing in front of this woman, patiently waiting for her to knock down all of her walls so she can see that I'm of comparable magnitude and we can go build something great together. And that became sexy. I've never had a man present himself like that before, where it was just like, oh my God, like we can be something together. This was not just about lust or like I had never known any other relationship like that before. It was just so completely different. It just became so deep and real and meaningful. And like, who were we going to be together? Whereas before I was always like, I needed that instantaneous, like passion feeling. And as soon as that wore off, I was done. And it was like, I'm not really interested in any, you know, I just, it was so surface the other thing. So I understand what you're talking about, but I think if it's a real woman and a real man who's not in propitiation, but is like, I am a freaking man and I'm not going anywhere and I love you and I'm ready to love you. And like, I'm not going away, but I'm going to be patient. I mean, it's, how is that not, you'd have to, a woman would have to be messed up in the head to not be able to find that sexy. It's sexy. Yeah, it's powerful. I agree. I agree. You know? What's your advice for men that's listening to this episode right now to learn how to understand a woman's cues? Mm. 
God, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you got to know how to read indicators. There's bad indicators and there's good indicators. And, you know, it's, you just have to obnose and ask questions and read and find out where you are in the cycle and how you want to persist and come up with creative ways. Like Grant was always coming up with creative ways and wasn't getting frustrated when I wasn't biting. He was, you know, not pestering me. He allowed me to grow into what I needed to in order to be able to see him and have him. Mm, that makes sense. And it, it leads me to ask, you know, you mentioned like where you are and looking back on our conversation thus far, you know, you mentioned 2008, you could have literally walked out at, in 2008 when you saw Grant get scared, but no, like you were a rock for him and you said that you were going to stay put. Like you could have just got up and left, right? And one thing that I see, maybe not necessarily in my life, but it definitely impacts me to an extent just in society in general, in this dating world right now, it's almost as if people are looking for completed projects, right? As opposed to people accepting who the person is for who they are at their core versus, oh, he doesn't have a Ferrari yet. Oh, he's not rocking a Rolex or an AP or he doesn't have this house or she doesn't have this bra size or whatever it is, right? Like it could literally be anything. What's your advice to find a partner that accepts who you are for you? For where you're at. For where you know, you're at, exactly. Yeah, for where you're at. Like, I know Grant and I evolved into who we are today. It's a created relationship. So I didn't find Grant as a billionaire. Grant didn't find me as a, you know, as a stable relationship person, you know? Like, a, but, but what I always do is I... I start off like this. It's going to sound cliche, but everyone's heard of the list. Write the list mm. of the perfect partner that you want. Write everything that you want. You know, I would stay away from things like 6'2 and green eyes and just say, <laughs> you know, someone that I'm attracted to physically or whatever, because that can limit you. But do write down things like ethically ambitious or has great relationship with women, loves and cares for women and children, you know, is ethically ambitious. Did I already say that? Like, you know, write down all all of the points and every the core values loyal monogamous trustworthy accountable like write down all the characteristics after you do that and you're clear on what it is you want then you take that person that you just wrote down and created and you write a list of what that person would write on their list. Mm. So that person, your perfect person would probably want, in my case, I was writing for Grant, right? And I wrote on my list from him, which I didn't know was him at the time, I would say that person would want a woman who was monogamous, who wanted to be in a relationship, who would want to be a wife, who would want to take care of herself physically. And, you know, I wrote down all of the things that I thought he would want, you know, wasn't out drinking, excessively drinking. And I wrote down this whole list. Well, after I did that, I realized that there was a gap between where I was and who his ideal woman was. And that's when I actually started, rather than thinking I'm entitled and deserve the perfect man, that's when I started working on myself. Because at the time I was in the clubs, I was dating around, I was not thinking. So I really had to stop doing all that. I stopped going to the clubs. I stopped drinking alcohol. Like I stopped doing all of those things. I started doing some self enhancement, how to build confidence, a communication course. I started doing all the personal values and integrity. I started doing all these little courses to get myself to be this person because I knew I had to be this person in order for this 
person to find this person. So that's what I would say. That's how you find the person. Then once you get it together, then you would write out a wants and needs list. What do you want and need from your partner? And what do they want and need from you? So Grant and I did this. We wrote our wants and our needs and then we switched and I read his list. He wanted children, you know, he wanted blah, blah, blah. But at least we're not gonna go down a three-year relationship and then discover later that we have issues. You know, so I looked at every single list and we negotiated every single item. I was like, you know, he wanted, it was important for him. He was like, I want a woman to, to cook a meal for me. Like that made him feel loved, you know? And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I, okay, I can do that. I suppose, you know, the children, <laughs> I want children, but I want, and we negotiated this. I was like, I want two years of marriage, just us, and then we'll work on kids, you know, but we wrote this all down, you know, are you willing to, are you willing to, and then you can produce what's needed and wanted. Okay. Lastly, after you share your wants and needs, how you create the person, right? It's a created, this, you're, you, this is actually from the first moment of inception created in my case. Then once you get together, you agree on your wants and needs. Now you know it's expected of you. You know how to deliver the products to your partner. There's no wiggle room for guessing. Then you figure out based on your strengths and weaknesses, who does what in the relationship? Know your roles. Who's running PR? Who's running the account? Who's running the finances? Who's running the friends department? Who's running the business? Who's running the accounting? Who's, you know, whatever all the roles are, who's running lead in charge of the kids when there's kids involved and you put the in charge and then we follow that. Like I get to be the boss of my areas and Grant gets to be the boss of his areas. No matter what type of advice I give him, he gets to make the executive decision in his area. And because I found the one I trust, I stand by his decisions, whether I like it or not in the end. And same vice versa with my hat and my role. You beat me to my next question. I was going to ask you, what does an individual need to do before they can find their partner? And you just, you elaborate on, it's not just write the list, but it's also know what your ideal partner would want on their list and be, become that person. Yeah. You know, it's not about compromising. Somebody said the other day, well, I don't want to have to become something. So somebody likes me or something. And well, I disagree with that already. I'm like, in a sense, because yes, you want to stay true to yourself. You don't want to be in this propitiation. I hate that propitiation, but it's about, you know, growing and evolving together and striving to be your best self so that you can show up and represent who you both are. So, you know, love you just the way you are. Like to me, I'm like, eh, I don't want to love you if you're loafing and not loving yourself and not doing anything to take care of yourself and you become a liability and you're excessively drinking alcohol and drugging and adding no value to the relationship. I don't want to love you just the way you are. I mean, yeah. I, I don't have to do that. Like you can do that. I'm not telling you not to do that. The beautiful thing about people is you get to do your life. I'm just letting people know what I do in my life in case anyone wants to emulate it or fast track a success or just a, out of curiosity. So I'm not trying to preach, but I'm just saying I don't have to love the people in my life just the way they are because I work too hard to get myself into mind for the gold and myself. 
myself. <laughs> they called me a gold digger early on when I was with Grant and I used it. I Because I'm a gold digger, because I can dig for it in myself, it allows me to dig for it in others. And that's just the standard. Like, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to go be a dreck in your empire. I don't want you to bring dreck in mine. Right. I love this. I don't want to have to let you go, but I do in a few minutes. Uh, I'm curious. I know that you hop on a bunch of podcasts, but what's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Oh my God. I saw that that question came out earlier. Uh, somebody, anyway, it's a difficult question. I mean, you know, I love talking about the women empowerment thing, but we did that. I love talking about how we rear our children. I love talking about spirituality and stuff. People are scared to ask me about my religion, and I'm a, and I I respect that people respect my religion, but it's a well, what does spirituality mean to you? Oh my God. Well, sp spirituality is everything to me. It's, it guides everything for me. You know, I'm, I'm very interested in spirituality and, and long-term survival and abundance on a massive level. So. What do you have going on in your life that we should make people aware of? Because I, there's a million and one things. And if I start rambling, I might miss some stuff. So what do you have going on that we should make people aware of? Okay. And Grant always tells me, don't, don't just tell them one thing or you'll, you'll overload them. But if, <laughs> if someone's a realtor and interested in joining an organization that's done over 838 million year to date in sales volume, you want to become a part of my organization, then they can do that by join10xempire.com. They can hear more about that. But the big thing that I have going on right now, the next thing is Grant and I are going to do for the first time ever, we're going to do a 10X couples retreat. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be in 2023. We don't know the date or the location, but I'm fighting to have it in Cabo because I love Cabo. So what that will look like is it's limited to 25 couples maybe a couple more, but not more. And uh, what we're going to do is in the morning, little bit into the afternoon, I'm going to go through parts of this book and really get people on the same page as a couple and really operate like Grant and I did. Grant's going to come in and get these couples on the same page with business and finance and really understanding that aspect and that piece to really get couples on the same page. And then the afternoon's going to be more experiential where we do events and just couples and enjoy each other as couples and dinners and I don't know, parasailing or whatever we want to do, you know? So it'll be super chill, super fun experience. And that's a 10X couples retreat. What about 10X singles? You're, you're forgetting about the singles. Like, you know, I do want to do that. I have, I, I, so probably that might be in the next year, but I really, I've had this vision where I've wanted to do on Valentine's day, a big 10X singles party event. Cause I love being Cupid where we get <laughs> all the real 10xers that are really interested in really finding you know people of comparable magnitude and at least on the same 10x mindset and a big party event but i just haven't done it yet but it is on my future wish list okay well i'm gonna i'm i'm looking forward to that i have one last question for you elena before i let you go if you hop on as many podcasts you empower as many women you check off all of the the couple goals, everything you want, you accomplish, but you could only be remembered for one piece of advice. Now, just for clarity, I mean, if someone says the name Elena Cardone, this piece of advice is, is attached to your name. What would that piece of advice be? Oh, man. 
I wish I could think longer because the first thing that's coming to my head, and I'm not sure this is the one I want to pick, but the first thing that's coming to, oh, okay, I got it. I changed it. Good. The, <laughs> the thing I would say is you're either creating or destroying your empire with every single decision that you make. You're either creating or destroying, creating or destroying. No in between. I love that. Elena, Everybody. I wish I could. It's beautiful. I, I appreciate all of this. This is absolutely fantastic. I want to express gratitude for all of this. I mean, this is my notepad. It was blank before we started. It's now filled up. Yay. So thank you for all of the wisdom you shared. I'm going to make sure that links to socials, websites, projects, all of that good stuff will be in the show notes. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. You have just tuned into the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend Elena Cardone. You could check her out in the show notes of this episode where you will see her socials, websites, where to get her books, programs, and all of that good stuff. On top of that, you were just taught how to build your empire step by step. There are people in your life that want to build their empire too, so I'm urging you to make sure you share this episode. It was totally free for you to consume, but if there was a fee, it would be to share the show. If you're doing so on social, make sure you tag Elena and myself so we can show you love. Do it by word of mouth, text message, email, wherever, however, but make sure you're sharing this. And until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.